Okay, hello everyone. I am Breck, aka Steve with Roleplaying Degenerates, and I'm with Haley with uh, Dungeons and Dragons family on TikTok and other social medias, I'm sure. Haley, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, thank you. Okay, I'm going to shoot a quick first question. I'm just going to get it out there. Uh, how would you explain what Dungeons and Dragons is to somebody who's never ever played? Oh, this is the question, right? Um, I would say Dungeons and Dragons is a game where together you use your imagination to take on the impossible, to fulfill quests, missions, have personal story growth for your characters, um, and having a good time along the way. Yeah, it's when we ask when people ask me what Dungeons and Dragons is. I, I one I can't answer that without it, because you know I can tell them you know statistics based or it's role playing based, but I can't tell them what it feels like to roll a crit, and that's a lot of what D and D is. These feelings you get with these people, or how funny it is just rolling one after one after one trying to open a door. You know those little things. Yeah. So what? When did you start playing D&D, and how did you start playing D&D? Let's see. I started playing about three years ago, mm-hmm. um, and actually what started it was I heard about it from some coworkers, and two separate coworkers were explaining, oh, this is happening in our campaign, this is happening in our campaign. And I said, wait, so are you still playing the same game? And they said, yes. But no. And I said, how is this possible? And it was just bizarre to me that you could be playing the same game, but have different adventures going on. And then I started getting interested in, well, you have your character and you work with your DM to figure out a story. And I said, wait, so it's more than just like a board game, like mechanics. And they said, oh yeah, like you, you create a whole story. You can have it be as funny or as tragic, whatever you like. Uh, so that got me interested because I couldn't understand how a game, how you could be playing the same game but be having different stories be told at the same time. I just I had never been exposed to role playing games at all. Um, so then I just went on Amazon and bought the starter kit. The Lost Mine of Fandelver was the one at the time, mm-hmm. and. Myself, my husband, and another couple uh, who were interested, we started playing that campaign. And for about a year, we just did that. We had the little basic rules book, and that's where it all started. So, <laughs> you, you know what? If I, if you were to ask me how you started, that's how I thought you started. I thought you were. I, I just get the I get the vibe from you and your your videos. You're the type of person who's just gonna do it and figure it out. And um, your videos are great. So for those of you who don't know, um, your videos are basically, for the most part, instructionals on how to play D&D. Um, right. So why did you decide to do that? I think the big thing was I wish I had somebody when I started to explain it to me. I'm a very type A, by the book, by nature. And so if I wanted somebody, it would have been nice to have somebody say, hey, here's how this abstract, uh, imaginative game works, but then also teach, but you don't have 
can also actually improvise and put in your own elements in the form of home brewing. Uh, so that's kind of what inspired me. Other people were asking me specific questions, friends and family, because I, you know, of course, have to share our adventures for our family, whether they love to hear that or not. Uh-huh. And so I started making the videos to help them understand what certain terminology was or um, what a class was, what a race was, why it impacted the game. So mainly just to help. I wanted people, I want to help people learn how to play because yeah. when I started, I didn't have any idea and I wish I had some resources or had known where to look, you know? Yeah, you know what's funny is I'm, I kind of followed the same trajectory as I am a very rules as written person. I will, I have read the player's handbook and the dungeon master's guide 20 or 30 times and I'll reread it. I'll reread it almost every time before a session. And I could tell you that you're kind of a similar person when I, when I, you do your videos and it's great for me because if I'm scrolling on TikTok, I stop and watch your videos and I'll be like, it'll be like talking about how to make potions or how to make stuff. Now, I've, I read this three or four times. But I didn't see anything like that. I go back and oh, it is there. So it's like a quick, even for dungeon masters, you're giving us like a quick like, oh, in case you didn't know, this is how it works. And like, oh, really? So then when it comes up, you're like, oh, yeah, so I saw I saw it on our video. So let's see it. And I look like page 273. Oh, yeah, it's here. Here's the ruling. So I think for Dungeon Masters, you're actually just as integral as you would be for a new newcomer in the, uh, in the, the realm. Oh, thank you. That's nice. Yeah, I, I mainly, and a lot of those uh, topics are questions people ask me. And I know a lot of people who ask those questions either don't have access to the player's handbook or they just want it explained. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, I just go right to the source material. I try to cite where I get it from. And then I just try to think, how would I present this in a very straightforward way? Because I feel like there's a lot of opinions, right? Well, yep. this would be cool. Well, this would be fun. And my goal is just, what does it even mean? Like, what is it mechanically, you know? Yeah. So. yeah. Um, if you look at the 5e Player's Handbook and Dungeon Master's Guide, there's so much in there that people just, even experienced DMs and players, will skip over, and they'll be like, well, there's no rule for this, so it's this. And one example of that is, um, I was talking to somebody who's like, well, there's nothing for endurance. Like, if you're running out of endurance, or there's nothing for that. And I was like, yeah, but if you read the Dungeon Master's Guide, it, it says it's a constitution uh, check. And that's, that implies endurance. It even says endurance like running a marathon. So I was like, if, if you actually read through the Dungeon Master's Guide and Player's Handbook over and over again, and you have some questions, I'm, I'm pretty sure you're going to find some. They've actually covered quite a bit in the Dungeon Master's Guide and Player's Handbook. It's just it's hard to go through it, and it'll be on some obscure page every once in a while. And so it's kind of hard. But, but for, for those of you out there, Take a look at it one more time, because you'd be surprised to find some of the stuff that is in the handbook and the rule book. Absolutely. Absolutely agree. <laughs> um, so you're, you started DMing, and you're kind of one of those few, kind of like myself, that just got jumped right into DMing, right? Right. Yeah, that was my very first experience ever. <laughs> so how, how was the first few sessions? Because I like to talk to new DMs about the first few sessions compared. If you were to go back to looking... Like rewatch your first sessions compared to where you are now. What what would it what would it look like? You know, it would be super rough, and that's okay. <laughs> um, my when we first.
first started, my husband and this other couple and myself, we all play a lot of video games. And so it was very mechanical. We did not role play. I presented myself as NPCs, but it was just, you know, here's the dialogue options that you might see in a in a video game. Uh, it was very hard for me to understand difficulty classes for doing skills and skill checks and just kind of having that natural flow of make a persuasion check, you know, make a history check. It just, but that's that is okay because you have to start somewhere, and I think just getting the mechanics down is really important first and then baby stepping your way to more of the okay well now let's have a more fleshed out character let's all try role playing you know is that typically how it goes with your with your life and your marriage are you the one to kind of go for and be like i'm the dungeon master and your husband (laughs) kind of sits back or how does it work you know on that one it we we i would say it depends on the subject but when it came to running the game, I think because I, like, if we get any game, I read through the rules manual. If we have something to build, I read through it first. And he's that way, too. But I think where it was more of a creative aspect and more of a, like, an art form, right? Storytelling an art form. Uh, my husband and my friends just said, hey, we think that you would be the best one to do this. And I thought, okay, well, let's try it, you know? Um, but I think when it's come to D&D, I've been a little bit more um, willing to put myself out there just to mm-hmm. kind of learn and grow. Um, but honestly, other players in our group are now that they're becoming DMs themselves. Uh, so it's really exciting to see maybe just someone kind of breaking the ice, uh, being vulnerable, doing the goofy voices, uh, mm-hmm. showing the passionate characters, the NPCs, uh, kind of allows everybody else to play to that level and stretch themselves you know yeah when you're a dm you do kind of have to well the, the first session is always hard because there's a lot of silences you don't know about there's a lot of things you're like worried about making the wrong mistake or if everyone's having fun if everyone having is having fun your first one it's rough but as you get going what have you learned so far like with npcs with complications and by complications i mean like presenting something to your group and seeing how they react uh, and rules that what have you learned along the way that you think works for uh, yourself? And maybe some DMs could could uh, pick up on those traits. Let's see. I know um, one thing I've learned is hmm, with NPCs, I don't think it matters so much about maybe the accent or having a perfect story or, you know, a complete story arc for your NPC. For me, what's worked is having motivations. Um, I think if I have the basic, what does this NPC want in life, then I can improvise my players a lot easier. So it's not like I have a set story, like they go to the store, they're going to ask for this magic item, the NPC will deliver the end. It might be, because you don't know what your players are going to do, right? So I feel like just as long as for the NPCs, it doesn't even matter if they, if you do know, if your voice, you just use your natural voice for every single one. Uh-huh. Uh, I think the main thing is have something that distinguishes them and how you describe them. Maybe just one trait. Maybe it's the way they look. Maybe it is the way they sound. Maybe uh, it's the way they smell. Maybe it's something they're wearing. I don't know. Uh, and then their motivation. Because then you can improv any situation 
and hopefully your players remember that NPC because, oh yeah, that was that guy that had a lift, or oh yeah, that was that girl that she was always like twitching her thumbs weird, you know, her fingers weird yeah, or something. Yeah. So yeah. I that's what I like to do with my NPCs is have something one memorable characteristic and then just their basic motivation. You know, what do they want? And then you can talk whatever the players throw at you, hopefully you can <laughs> respond as that NPC. Yeah, it, it's weird. You mentioned it uh, a few moments ago, but you were saying you don't know what your players are going to do. And that's the toughest thing about being a DM. And my, my, from my experience, the first few sessions is I was railroading. I was putting them on a trajectory because I was afraid for them to go somewhere else. But now it's almost way more fun for me when they go somewhere else because now you're part of the, the adventure. So um, have you ever had a situation where they just oh, yeah, you're going to meet this NPC. No, we're going to go over here and save this princess or whatever. Have you ever oh, had that? Yes. Oh, yes. Absolutely. And I think it is absolutely terrifying for new DMs. It really is because I do think it's a skill to learn how to improvise yeah. and to roll with the punches. And me being type A perfectionistic, that was a hard lesson for me to learn. Yeah, yeah. But I'm so glad I have, because like you said, if it's just you presenting this beautiful story, that's boring. Mm -hmm. You know, you need the players to show interest in something. And yes, there have been times where they want to go somewhere, absolutely had nothing prepared. I'm pulling up my random name generation generators of stores and NPCs yeah. and and that's probably sometimes the most memorable NPC they continually go back to. Exactly. And because they liked it. Yeah. You know? So. Yeah. Everybody I talk to, it seems, I always bring up the benign NPC effect is what I've been calling it. <laughs> and it's an NPC that you either never had an intention of introducing or it came up to you on the fly because they went somewhere and then all of a sudden that NPC they keep going back to or a party member marries that person or they're with yeah. you till level 20 and it's it's the benign NPC effect because every DM I talk to they always say I had this NPC that was just like off the top of my head or wasn't supposed to be in there and all of a sudden they're at level 20 or they're they playing in the next campaign um, so it is one of those, those games where those moments where even the DM isn't expecting it turns out to be even better than, you know, a pre-written uh, book or, or a module for that case, you know, in that case. Um, right. I've noticed that you are all about the Curse of Strahd, or is that just right now? <laughs> That's a, that is one of our campaigns we're doing right now. Um, my husband's actually DMing that one. Oh. And uh, so I'm playing in that one, which is really fun. Mm -hmm. But that's the only one that we... We started it after I started making TikToks. And I said, hey, do you care if I just do a recap just for fun because it's popular to help me remember what's happening? Um, so, yes, we are doing Curse of Strahd, which is very fun. Um, are you a DM who uses modules and pre-written story campaigns, or do you write your own? For the most part, I've done modules, mm -hmm. um, mainly because I like the structure that they provide mm -hmm. uh homebrewing is a lot of work and mm -hmm. i am a thousand percent proud of people who do that it's a huge accomplishment uh but i like the world of Faerun. i like the modules wizards of the coast publish 
But then what I often will do is when I come across something I don't like, I change it. So I'll throw in a different NPC. I think, oh, this needs more fleshing out. I'll flesh it out. So I don't go buy the book, but I use it as a structure, as a template of the world and basic, uh, you know, world problems and then just kind of tailor my own stuff to what the players are interested in. Yeah, so you don't, so if they decide to go left or right, you kind of can move with the punches then. Right, yeah. 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 Um, do you watch any Critical Role? I do, yes. How, how much have you watched? Um... <laughs> so, I have watched all of season two, and I'm caught up on season three. Okay, before you go any further, because <laughs> you and I have a very similar, we've almost have the same path. So Really? It, almost everything. So, I didn't watch season one, because it had already passed by the time I got into D&D, first of all. And I tried watching the first couple episodes, and I was just, I just couldn't, I couldn't get into it. And then, you know what? I saw that they had a second season. I was let me try this. And the set, like the first twenty minutes of the second season, I was hooked. And I was like, this is awesome. Did you have a similar experience? I did. I actually, so I when I started, I, I DM'd for a year, and then it was a lot of it was a lot of homebrew. Actually, it wasn't necessarily by the because I didn't have the player's handbook for the first year. I wow. I DM'd. Uh, so once I got that, somebody recommended, you got to watch Critical Role. I'm like, I have no idea what this is. Let's do it. And so when I did, they were in, I think, like, they were on session, I don't remember what it was, 60 maybe, of the second season. And I'm watching this, and I'm going, okay, I feel like there's so much context. These characters are so well-developed. I have to go back to the beginning because this is yeah. just, <laughs> I need to know. Yeah. Um. And so I started watching it, and I loved it because before I had just been, you know, more mechanic-based, more, um, you know, here's the quest. We completed it. XP. Congrats. Just because that's how I was. Yeah. And then I watched that, and I thought, oh, role-playing is a huge uh, part of the game that I wasn't aware of. And I think it was even... I think it was in the in that campaign. There's a character who's a warlock, and he's receiving some sort of dream from his patron. And, yes. Yeah. And Matthew had written up kind of this scenario and was describing what he was seeing and feeling, and kind of gave him a little bit of play to interact with this dream. And I thought, oh, DM can do that. Uh, I could actually kind of create a moment for somebody that's meaningful to them and that's when everything changed because I thought wow you can really make this so impactful not only for a character but even for a player to be really personal and fun you know yeah it's like with this surge in D&D the last few years I think everybody looks to Matt Mercer and Critical Role is like okay we have this standard, but then we have this standard. And if, if you can kind of like see what he's doing and a lot of the things, especially in campaign two, you, you mentioned Ukutoa, but I mean, Jester with her god, um, oh, yeah. the Traveler, you can kind of see, not all gods have to be like, I only talk to you one time. There's another, there's another dynamic there. And the way right. he does things, so there's some table rules we have 
that are, this is a Matt Mercer rule, so we're doing it, and it's like, that's the law. Like, everyone on the table fully understands. Uh, but but that show has really got, my wife has never played D&D. She's watched all of Campaign 2, and we started mm-hmm. Campaign 3. So even for people who don't play D&D, it's still like, this is, whatever I'm watching is special, because they give me these characters, or when a character dies, or when a really awesome rule happens, like, you see everybody's energy at the table, and a lot of people just want to mimic that at their home game. And if they can even get close, it's it's a special game. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, so, what is your favorite, what's your favorite uh, Critical Role character? PC. Or NPC. Oh, man. Well, of the two seasons, I or the campaigns that I've watched, hmm, that's a rough, that's a tough question. I really like um, Caduceus. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a very, I think, I think a common stereotype or trope with a lot of new players is I have to be edgy. I have to be tragic just because that's, you know, how a lot of adventuring, uh, parties start. Yeah. But I love Caduceus where he just was who he was kind of thrown into this chaotic situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I love kind of that. A uh, little bit changes pace as far as a character's story, where he's there to help and he's constant and he grounds the group. Yeah, know? yeah, and just going back to what that what that group does, I think the first couple, I think Caduceus naturally had a high passive perception, but I think the yeah. first the first few times he Matt would say, Caduceus, you actually recognize this person at the bar is doing that. He's like, no, no, I was looking, I was looking over there, I don't recognize anything. Because it was funny to be like Caduceus and not do it. Um, he's like, I was looking at the tea or drinking something. And it was funny on the on the table because even though it's a high roll and not listening to see something, it's not Caduceus. You know, Caduceus wouldn't necessarily be paying attention to what a bard is doing, you know, at the bar. Yeah. So I think it, it's just another example of what this game can be. Like, it's not always about making rolls. It's, you know, it's not having going on an adventure. And a good group together can be in a tavern rolling ones consistently. And it's the it's almost more fun than you know the very last big bat with with that type of group. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> um. So as a DM, what is your favorite NPC you've ever created, and why? Oh. Oh, this is a hard one. Um. Let's see. I think I'm trying to think of it based off of who my players interacted with the most. Because for me, that's the most fun when they yeah. want to keep interacting with this character. Mm-hmm. Um, so I I just finished, I ran Storm King Thunder for a year and a half. And one at the, this character was more prominent in the beginning of the game. But uh, his name was, oh, now I'm trying to even think of what his name was. Uh, Dahlia. He was a tiefling uh, shopkeeper, and uh, he sold magic items. But he had something I kind of threw in was, he said, well, I'm going to go, you know, look in the back. Let me see if I have uh, something interesting for you today. And so he would bring out a really higher level magic item. And the players thought, what on earth? And so they kept coming back. He said, sorry, the box, it's all used up today. Sorry. And so they were so fascinated, they kept going back, going back, and eventually discovered his secret where uh, he was basically getting 
magic items. I think he was, I had him, um, you know, worshipping Asmodeus, because of course, mm-hmm. and he would have to, like, basically, uh, he would basically have to do, like, a, a little blood sacrifice to have access to, like, this extra planar magic dimension of magic items once a day. Kind of like uh, <laughs> the magic box in, I'm trying to think what video game it is, um, like Call of Duty, any of the zombie kind of shooting yeah, games. Yeah, yeah. Right? And so that was really fun. I had kind of a, I tried to do, you know, like this, this accent, hey, my friends, you know, welcome to the shop. What do you want today? And they thought that was funny. Mm-hmm. And so I think that one, that NPC was fun just because he was funny, a little, had a little bit of a secret that kept them coming back. So it was really fun to portray this character. But. How often have you had the, the group say something, a, a little comment? And it kind of changes your thought on, like, a situation. Like, I'll have, like, and, you know, Critical Role Campaign 2, there's a there's a moment where they're investigating um, Knott's husband was stolen from a bunch of drow, and they're investigating this, this room, and they find a chair, and they keep questioning about this chair. They keep questioning about the chair. And Matt's finally like, it's just a chair. But then, like, later, later on, Matt brings up there's a chair, and he's like, okay, this chair is different, but he's messing with him. Um, right. But it comes up in games where, where your your group will say like, "What if the shopkeeper is like the one that's behind all these murders?" <laughs> and in your head, you're you're like, you just you try to keep a straight face. But in your head, you're like, "Okay, she's not." But at the same time, I kind of want to make them believe she is. So you'll start playing these things. So it's funny how the group will actually write these stories because the DM will pick on pick up on stuff. Has that ever happened to you? Yes, I'm trying to think of a specific. I think I had one where, so I was running Storm King Thunder, and I was portraying one of the, just a random NPC, um, in the book his name's Captain Thunder Hale, um, he's a half-orc, but I, I called him Thunder Dale, just mistaken, and my party runs with this and goes, okay, he's this captain who on surface level is such, you know, just this big, tough guy, but he's probably, like, some sort of dancer. Like, he's got to be, like, a dancer at a tavern. Yeah. And it was the stupidest little detail that I thought, uh-huh, absolutely, I'm going to remember this. Yeah, and then yeah. I ended up bringing it back later where they had to get in with, like, this dancing troupe. And sure enough, there he is, and they had this connection. So it was satisfying because they had a good connection with him before, so that later, this elite, you know, company they had to talk to, they had already gotten in with their main boss, you know? So there's things like that. I can't think of anything else off the top of my head, but yes, there are times where there's a theory. And then I go, I love that way better than I have. So yes, yeah. I'm going to make it happen now. <laughs> yeah, and, and the group really does a lot as far as writing the story. Um but that's just a good example of, of when when you prepare all this stuff and you get to add something to the game that really excites the group. Can you explain to people who might not be, who might not know, or kind of worried about DMing, the the joy you get from the look on your group's face when it's like the moment where you someone's husband comes back to life or this person they've trusted this whole time double crosses them or they find out the, you know this information they didn't and everyone's face like usually they're in their notes like writing something down and all of a sudden they're like 
they do like a really quick look up. They're like focused on you, and they're like, wait a minute, wait, what did you just say? And it's like, oh yeah, this this is you know the guy walks in, and there's smoke billowing from his nose, and he's turning into this creature, and this is the thing you've been chasing this whole time. He's been your friend for years. And then we're just like, wait. And it's one of those moments. Can you describe to people who don't really know, as a DM, when you get those faces looking at you, just how, like, all the work you did and all the time you put into it and all the preparation just to build up this moment. Uh, what is that like for you? You know, it, it is hard to explain, but I feel like there's the moment as a dungeon master where everything's conceptual. Everything's abstract, right? You have this idea of where things might go you have prepared yeah your npcs your locations your quests um everything's written down and then you get to a point of the game where your characters start interacting with that and there's things that they care about and don't there's things that they as players or characters get excited about or you know they hate this or they love this or whatever but then there's a moment where i feel like sometimes if you have a group that you can open up to and feel vulnerable, um, role-playing, you know, when your character's sad, when your character's excited, where this moment you're describing of where something that's meaningful to the character or to the player, uh, whether it's someone they, you know, a person, a, a thing, whatever, that gets brought up, and then it's almost like I don't know how to explain it, but it's so immersive that the reactions are genuine. Uh, it's almost like they're no longer acting like their character. They are their character yeah. experiencing that in the moment. Um, and I think as a DM, that is such a, I think that's the highest honor, I would say, is mm -hmm. if I was able to give you 100% and invest in this, you know, fake world in this fake game these fake stories but i invest to the point where and you invest you also invest a hundred percent that we have this moment where there are illicit emotional responses i feel like then you've done the very best you can as a dm and so i think for me it's just kind of i feel really honored to share that moment because i realized this is all of us being very vulnerable mm -hmm. and, you know, doing goofy things, pretending to be these people that don't exist, but we still have that reaction together. So yeah. I think if we get to that point, then you've got a special group and I've successfully done my job as a DM to provide a story, but also a group to share that story with where you feel comfortable experiencing that with everybody. You know. Yeah, that's that's well put. I mean, there's always that that cliche like life is just a series of awesome moments, but there's something about D and D, and and you're right. It's it's that moment where someone's failed two death saving throws, and they're on their third, and the table's silent. The DM's yeah. standing up at this point. Just what are you gonna do? You know, what's happening? What are you seeing? What are you seeing? And it kind of brings you back to that moment as an adult. When you were 13 or 14 and you're having a sleepover with your friends, you're playing the same game all night long, you know, whatever the case is. But um, it's that moment when, you know, almost like like, like you're, you're a kid again and you're having fun at 2 o'clock in the morning with all your friends. But it's a little more serious because life and death is on the table. Um, right. You know, not, not real life and death, obviously, for those watching. But, <laughs> um, 
It's life and death to you. It feels it feels real when your characters you played your character for a whole year and you fail you you fail two death saving throws. It gets pretty emotional on the table. Um, yeah. Or even if death does happen, you know, I've had a character death and well, you know, what can I do? There's got to be something I can do. Like none. You don't have. We don't have a healing. We look through everybody's stuff. You don't have anything. You get one final word. You know, you get one final say. What is it? And then. You know, that's what it is. And you're done playing that character for a year or whatever happens. Um, so it is one of those games where it just brings you back to those those beautiful moments that you were talking about. Right. And I, I've told people, you know, because people ask me, why do you keep playing? Why why do you and your group, because, you know, all of our families know this night's D&D night. We cannot do anything. And they ask, why do you guys keep doing that? And I said, so even though it's, an imagine a game of imagination. I personally feel like we do feel those things. Like we do bond as a group. Your D and D group can be like you. My last group, they they just they defeated Imrith, the ancient blue dragon, and she killed a couple people. They got revived. It was so intense. But after that, I felt like even our our friendship at the table was raised to a new level because we had people dying and people crying over this and desperately trying, like you're describing before, desperately trying to save their friends. And so I, I explained, yeah, we weren't really dying, but we still emotionally felt that our friends were dying, you know? And so this, it's really hard to explain, but if you can get to that point with your group, that's the power of D&D, you know? You experience these crazy adventures with your friends. Yeah, there's that level of vulnerability that you have when you do get to that point where, like, I love this character. Even as a DM, there's characters I love. And I'm like, man, if this character dies, like, it's going to be rough. But I don't hold back because the, you have to have fear of death in the game, in my opinion. There has to be a fear of death or it's just not fun. And some of the best times in the game are when, you know, you get your butt kicked and you guys, like, pick him up. We got to get out of here. Like, I don't want to leave. No, we got to go because if we don't, we're dead. And then you go back, you gain some levels, you get revenge, and then it's so much sweeter, and it's so much more of a moment, especially when you crit on a you know a bad guy. Oh um, yeah, it's just one. Of, yeah, it's just one of those moments that's that's really fun. Um, so how many of your friends? How many of your friends? Because you've only been playing for a few years. I've only been playing since COVID started. Um, nice. How how many of your friends like that you knew from high school or your friends and family? Like how many of them might say, "What what is Dungeons and Dragons?" <laughs> All the time. Yeah. I yep, it's a constant thing. <laughs> so I, what do you what do you say to him? Because your husband's in it too, right? Um, you know, I basically it kind of almost ties back to that first question you asked of how do you describe D and D, right? Um, what I usually tell people just briefly, you know, I say, well, we're playing a game. Uh, we are fulfilling missions. We're, you know, fighting monsters, we're getting cool treasures, uh, but we're also creating a story together in the moment, and that's basically an improv session. It's basically yeah. a improv session, but it's a continuation. Um, I also tell people, you know, a Dungeons & Dragons campaign is like a movie series. So, yeah. uh, you have your, your first season, and there's episodes of things that happen. So a, a, a D&D session or game night is basically one episode 
of an entire TV series. And so we want to keep playing because we only got a little bit done this last episode. And now we're ready to see where this takes us the next and the next and the next. And then you have this whole series, you know, a whole season of something that happened. And then you move on to the next arc, you know. So like, oh, okay. Like, yeah, so we got to get to our next episode because we left out a cliffhanger, you know, or something like that. Yeah. Um, this kind of—I I forgot to ask the question, but it, it kind of ties into um, the question I always get with with asking Dungeons and Dragons is, "What is Dungeons and Dragons? How do you play? And then how do you win?" This is the question I get all the time. It's it's yeah. like it's like the quintessential. What is Dungeons and Dragons? Following that is how do you win the game? Um, <laughs> I have my own opinions about how you win the game. But how do you think you win in Dungeons and Dragons? Because I really don't, but Right. I hmm, I think if someone asked me that, I'd say, well, it's not the format, the the overall mechanics of the game. It's not necessarily like there's an obvious winner and loser. You know, like yeah. chess. I beat you, whatever. Um and really, as far as that, like from a mechanical game aspect, even the DM isn't against the players, right? We're, we're all rooting for each other at the table. And even sometimes my players are like, oh my gosh, that villain did such a good hit. That was awesome. Like, that was just against them, right? Yeah. Um, but as far as, it, so if you look at it mechanically, there really is no winning unless mm-hmm. you're fighting an obvious, like, a monster, and you're trying yeah. to, you know, get him down to zero hit points, and then sure, maybe you beat that monster. You won that round. But for me, overall, with D&D, I think winning, or it, I think it's mainly just having good times from an above-table perspective. Having yeah. good times with the group, everybody had a, a fun time, and left the session going, wow, that was crazy. Or, oh my gosh, that was such a cool moment. Did you see what my character did? So I think for me, kind of that um, above-table win would be um, if everybody had a great time and got along and enjoyed the story. And I think for me personally as a DM, if I feel like even if all my plans were ruined, if I was able to convey a story that engaged the table, then that's a win for me, personally, as a DM. If yeah, I, yeah. despite, even if it's a completely improvised session, if they don't know that and they feel like it was real, a real breathing world they're in, that's a win for me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think you said it, you summed it up great, is, is uh, just building those moments over and over again, these beautiful moments in the game. Or bad moments, just but these these you know these these tear felt moments in the game. Um, that's what it's about for me. I mean, just having a good time with my friends, family. Uh, hopefully, my kids someday are going to have the same good time. Because you get this feeling, and tell me if you got this after Critical Role season two. Uh, I'm just, I'm about halfway done DMing our group, and I'm already getting this like really this level of nervosity where I'm I'm worried about the end because. In, you know, in a story, you know, you have to have this awesome thing and everyone's having fun, but it's got to end sometime because you want to start the next game. But I got done watching Critical Role Season 2, and it, I got the feeling like it's over. Like, it's over, it's done, it happened, 
it was amazing. You know, it was the best thing I've ever right. seen. But it's it's over. And that's that's kind of there's like a level of seriousness with your characters, and you have to tell the story. You want it to be closed. But at the same time, like it's ending, and there's gonna be another one. Um, you almost get like a, a blues for a couple days. You feel like, man, that's wow. it's over for a couple days. And then season three, a couple of rules starts, and it's one of those things like, oh, this is it's not four, but you know, this character's awesome. Or, you know, we have it's not not anymore, but you have this robot, and you know, it's really cool still. Right. So. Um, it's 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 bittersweet because you end this epic story and then you start another one. Yes, I agree with that. <laughs> have you have you um and have you completed a whole campaign yet? Yes, yes, I have. How how was the ending of that one? Oh boy! So, uh, like I said, I ran Storm King Thunder for a year and a half, and we started with four players. And we ended up with six. Yeah. And basically, uh, you know, spoilers, I guess, for that campaign. If anyone wants to run it, don't listen. <laughs> but um, the group ends up fighting Imrith, this ancient blue dragon. And I had tweaked her a little bit to be a little bit nastier, a little more arcanely focused. So she um, was had some tricks up her sleeve with spells. And we had this we usually play every New Year's Eve um, until midnight. And so we were playing this epic battle, fighting her. She's killing people. <laughs> uh, nobody ended up permanently dying, though, which is pretty amazing. Yeah. But um, so we, we, we got through this really intense session. And then the next session was, okay, now we're going to wrap up and think about what you want your characters to do for the rest of their lives. And... I definitely felt that nervous energy of, oh my gosh, did, did we tell your story? Did we get everything done we needed to? Uh, you know, and then we all met, and it was definitely a role-play heavy session, but it, and it was very emotional. Like, most of us were crying at the end, and it was a very bizarre experience for me because I'd never reached this point. I'd, I'd had other mini-campaigns they fizzled out, right? Yeah. So this was the first one where we had people committed for, you know, either six months or about a year, year and a half. And so it was, it was a very bittersweet ending. And there was a few days where I thought, oh my gosh, I'm not going to see these characters like every week. And I missed them already. And they're not even real, but I missed them. Um, so it was very surreal finishing it, um, that campaign. But like you said, there's always the next one. And so I, I'm actually right now um, in the process of we're almost to session one of our of our new campaign. Um, so there's always those kind of memories of your past characters and past campaigns. But then you're excited to see what people want to focus on with their new characters and what stories do we have to tell. Who knows, you know? Yeah, so and that's, that's, that's the exciting part. Um what is your favorite? Well, first of all, are you? This is an in-person game you're talking about, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Are you planning on doing anything online? You know, I've had, especially now being on Instagram and TikTok, I've had a lot of people ask me that. Mm-hmm. And because, as far as our own, my own, with my friends, we do that in person because we're lucky enough. We all live by each other and. 
obviously we're, you know, uh, very safe, making sure we're all healthy and everything, especially with the COVID. Um, but as far as online and maybe in that sense, DMing for other people, I've thought about it. Um, it's always a little, I think it's kind of that, oh, I don't remember what it's called, just the DM fear of, oh, I can't possibly be as good as other DMs. Imposter syndrome? Yes. Thank you. Yes. You know, of, oh, I can't possibly do it like other people would, or I don't know all the lore of whatever. Um, I've definitely thought about it. Uh, but once again, it's getting the, you know, courage to just go for it. That can be tricky. Yeah. I, I didn't know any, I'm just going to be honest. When I first started playing D&D, I love the DM's guide and I love the player's handbook, but the rest of the lore, I just like cut it out of my life and I just started from scratch. I made my own world and everything because it just wasn't, it, it just wasn't for me though. Like I knew immediately I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't be connected to it like I was. I would be like, okay, what is Asmodeus? Now, he is in my world because there's some things that they can overlap. But for the most part, I wrote I wrote detailed backstories on 100 gods to start, and I wrote detailed backstories on every single continent because I wanted it to be... Yeah, it took about six months to do it, but I did it. I'm sure. But for me, it was one of those things that, like, I'm not necessarily... I, in my mind, I was like, well, people have been playing Forgotten Realms for how many years? And this for how many years? And they have their own idea of Vecna and all these things, which are great. Like, I love Vecna. I love all that stuff. Um, and I love hearing about it. But at the same time, for me, I was like, you know what? If it's going to be something that it's going to hinder me in any way, I need to just do this on my own. So uh, I created Gorgonia, which is named after Gorgon, which is from the movie Small Soldiers. Because I, I was, it. I always thought that was the coolest place. Like Gorgon, like they're trying to get there. It's awesome. Um, so I named it. I was like, this is gonna be Gorgonia. This is the thing I create. It's kind of like that. Um, but if you're gonna do an online game, I would suggest 100. percent You need to DM one. Like 100. percent I think, <laughs> I think you're the type of person that most people are looking for. They're gonna take it seriously. They're gonna, they're going to look at the rules. They're gonna. That imposter syndrome, I, when people get that imposter syndrome, I think it's the sign of a good DM because I've seen, I've seen people who are like, oh, I'm going to be a great DM, and they go out there and they really aren't, and they just fudge numbers and do these things that I don't think a DM really should do. Um, but those those people I've met who are like, I don't think I'm you know ready, I don't think I should do it, I don't want to like meet somebody who's a total rules lawyer and things like that, I, I don't think you're going to have that problem. The, I had the same problem when I first started doing online stuff, but most players online, uh, you'll get a few of them that, you know, it's like, okay, this isn't going to work. But most players online are really just looking to go on an adventure, and it's a really fun thing. At the very least, if you want to do it, you have to DM a one-shot for us in role-playing degenerates because we would oh, love yeah. to play. We would love to play, and we are all DMs, or we all kind of know the gist. And there's no rules, lawyers. We just want to have a good time. So you at least have to do that. Okay. I, I will. We'll have to uh, coordinate for that. Yeah. We'll get used to it. Oh, yeah. I, I'd be super excited to play. Um, how do you feel about... How do you feel about character deaths? How do you deal with those? So, I honestly haven't had too many until the end of this last campaign, because things got intense. 
And the first thing I did was, and, and this is just situationally for what happened to me. Like, it might be different for other people. Um, but for me, they were going into a situation where I was expecting a TPK. I, I thought there is a high chance my whole party will die. And so I, first of all, I, I told them that explicitly. I said, you guys, if you don't want, you know, obviously it was a huge part of the game. And I said, your character has the choice to go. Mm-hmm. You are willing to risk life and limb. So just know I'm going to go at you 100%. And I'm going to try to kill you all. Because I don't like DMs. Like, I'm going to kill my players all the time. Yeah. But I said, because of this villain, uh, and I don't like to kill characters. It's so hard. It's so rough for me. But I told, so I first of all just said, you guys might die. So if you don't want your characters to die, you do have an out. And they're all like, no, we're going to do this, you know, for glory, for honor, whatever. I was like, good. Then once it actually the first character died, um, I think, I'm trying to remember, I think what I did was I, of course, had the character describe how they died. Um, I also had them describe their last, like, thoughts. So basically, anything. It could be a memory, it could be calling out to somebody, it could be just what your character was feeling in the moment they were dying. Um, And so it was a little bit above game, a little bit metagaming, but very powerful for the players at the table because you're getting an insight into this character you wouldn't normally. Um, And then the way that I liked to do it was um, I described basically them going to the next next life, the next stage, the next plane. Yeah. based off of their backstories and kind of, you know, some of them were tied to deities, some of them were tied to other things. And so, uh, and what was interesting in that game was we had some clerics, so they were reviving these characters. And the, the places that they were going after they died were beautiful, wonderful, exactly what they wanted. And so something I did, I said, do you want to come back? Which yeah. is not a mechanic with revivifying, but I said, do you want to go back? Because you are basically in your version of heaven yeah uh, I'm, I'm leaving that up to you yep. and then they got a chance to role play their feelings and how they what their characters thought one of them it was two twin brothers they got they died very quickly after each other and made it to this afterlife and one of them got revived before the other and so there was this moment where he was just like talking to his brother and was like i've got to go I don't know what you're going to do, but I love you no matter what. And it was just so powerful. So for me, I try not to control it completely as a DM and go, here's how you died and you're done and let's move on. It has to be meaningful. Yes. You know, yeah. and, and I think it's, that's when you give it to your players and you go, you describe to me what's meaningful to your character in this moment. Cause this is a huge deal, you know? Yeah. I think I think the I think it does say somewhere in the Dungeon Master's Guide a soul doesn't have to come back. I think it does say somewhere in there that it's one of those like one liners we were talking about earlier where it says if a soul wants to come back, it's its choice. Which Matt Mercer uses he he talks about it at the end of campaign one, their after wrap-up, uh, with Percy. He says he said you would have the choice, and Percy's like, Well if I had the choice, I wasn't coming back. Or something something like that. Um 
which is very important. There's, there's a few things that are really important, and the option to come back is a very, very important notion for the character, but it's also an important complication. And what I mean by what I mean by that is we had a character die, and I said if there's one character per campaign within the first six levels before they get true resurrections, you know, the stuff later on. I was like, I'm going to be honest with you. When we started this campaign, because it's the first group I, I had with them, I was first time DM. Like, you can bring one person back. Like, you will be able to, but it's not going to be easy, and I'm not going to tell you how to do it. So someone did die, and they're seven sessions in to it. They made a, they, they went back in time on accident, and they made a deal with a, a demon, and um, they think it's a devil. It's actually this guy right here. Oh, so cool. <laughs> yeah. So they made a deal with a demon, and they rolled a high institute, or, uh, intelligence check, and someone, I said uh, Asmodeus' staff, which is lore, um, was given to him by the Celestials to keep his contracts binding. So you can't, there's, there's no going away from it. So if you sign a contract, your soul will become autonomous, and you will do whatever that contract says. So they meet this demon, who's really a demon, but he says he's a devil, so he can make people sign contracts for him. And they sign this contract, and there's that moment that after seven episodes or whatever, they're bringing him back. And I've talked, I talked to the guy who's coming, and I was like, this is your choice. And he's like, I don't know. I don't know. I didn't know when we were playing it out, because he was so back and forth. And, wow. um, and I, he gave me a look like I knew, like, okay, he's going to do it, because he was like getting back into his character. He hadn't played, he hadn't played for like seven sessions. He took it off. And so, wow. yeah, it was one of those situations. And I say, like, you guys do this this whole thing, and it doesn't work. And I gave, like, a long pause, and everyone's like, they knew about the whole soul thing, because I mentioned it earlier on. So they're just like, dude, we did all this, and he's not coming back. And it's one of those funny complications, because because they did all this, but at the same time, it's, it's a letdown, but at the same time, they did all this. Like, they they went through all this, they did it. And at least they can say, you know what, we gave it our all. And after a long pause, I said, you know, you finally start to see this this, this spark open up in this realm when he comes out. But that long, that long pause was then like going through the emotion of he's not coming back, or you know, it's, it's, it didn't work out. We didn't get the right components, or uh, whatever whatever it was. Then then it happens. So it's there's things in D and D that these complications um, they make it so much better. Like a lot of these moments. You get really enthralled. You said the story of these two twins, and um, I'm not sure what Star Wars game it is, but there's a Star Wars game where there's these two brothers uh, that are super powerful, and they're, they're supposed to be light and dark, and at the end of it, they have to kill each other or whatever. But it kind of reminded me of that situation where they're split, one of them wants to stay, one of them doesn't. Um, it's just, I don't, there's no other game. There's no other game that has this sort of gut-wrenching power to it. Right. Absolutely. It's, I just feel like it somehow there's something I tell people there's something for everyone in D&D, whether it is the mechanics and the numbers and the statistics and the monsters and or the abilities, or it could be the role play and the gut wrenching moments or the storytelling. Uh, D&D is just such I tell people it's a very fun game. You could make it as complicated as you'd like. Uh, because depending on what you want to focus on, what you want to bring in, uh, it can become a very living, breathing game that makes it unpredictable as well when you do that. So it's 
exciting. It's, you never know what you're going to get as a player or a DM. It's bizarre, but so much fun at the same time. It is. It is. Um, I could probably talk to you for hours and hours more. And we're going to have to do this again sometime. But I want to, I want to end it with this question. I always ask everybody. Um, and it's, where, where do you see yourself in 5, 10, 15 years with Dungeons and Dragons? Man, you know, um, I, I honestly don't know, but I think my trajectory is moving forward, maybe getting involved with more professional levels. Um, I'm actually going to be uh, running some tables at FanX this year in Salt Lake City, Utah. Really? Uh, so I will be there, and that's kind of opening my world a little bit and realizing people do care how I view the game. People think it's interesting. Uh, people, uh, I, I think it's very rewarding to know that people are interested in how I view it and how I run it. So I think for me, I'm, I have no expectations, but also I would be totally happy if in 5, 10, 15 years I'm running games online for people nice. or somehow progressing in the D&D community. I think it's not going to go away for me. I'm, I'm a hook for life, I think. Yeah. I don't, I just see your content is amazing. I, I love your content. I think it's just the beginning. Um, so you said you're going to be, uh, you're going to be running games at the Fan Expo? I will be. Yeah. Fan how, how did that all unfold? Uh, that was, I, another TikTok, another TikToker who has connections with Fanex reached out to me and said, hey, uh, would you ever be, you know, consider doing this? I thought, okay, it was about, I don't know, a couple, six months ago. I thought, Mm -hmm. oh, that's fine. And then I've been in contact, just, just really networking and being brave enough to say, Yep, I'll try it. Like today, yeah. uh, talking with you, this is the mm-hmm. first time I've ever done something like this. And yeah. it's a little bit nerve-wracking, but also exciting, you know, to put yourself out there and just enjoy the world of D&D. So, um, yeah, I think it's just being brave enough to make friends and not be afraid, you know, be brave enough to to accept what comes your way. Um, so that's where I'm headed, at least with Fanex, we'll see what happens after that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it is weird. I'm in Illinois. You're in Utah, right? And right. We play, we play this strange game where you have little miniatures, and oh, yeah. you have this weird, like, nerd thing that's happening. Um, but it's one of those games that's just so much fun. And it's amazing to talk to somebody halfway across the United States about Dungeons & Dragons and Critical Role and... And what it feels like to have two death saves uh, not go your way, it's just, and, and you're right, it is somewhat vulnerable to put yourself on TikTok and talk to people, and there's people that, I, I don't know if I'm going to, you know, it's not going to be weird talking to them about D&D, um, you know, because I'm just an aircraft mechanic, but then I get to talk to people, and it's like, oh, it's something we all share and love, and it's actually really fun to converse about a game and learn and, and learn from each other and see what other people are doing, and I think that's how we all get better at this game. Absolutely. So for everybody who's listening, where can they find you or connect with you? How can they get more of Haley and your D&D family? So I am on TikTok uh, under Dungeons. I think it's D&D family on TikTok. Okay. Uh, and then on Instagram, we are Dungeons and Dragons family. And 
there's dots in between those. So on TikTok, it's the dot and dot the dot family. Mm-hmm. And then the same on this Instagram, Dungeons and Dragons family. So Okay, so everybody knows where to find um, you. And then your fan expo that you're going to be at, do you know the dates on that yet? I believe it's September okay. 22nd through the 24th. I think it's a Thursday through Saturday. In, uh, I think it's, it's around Salt Lake City. It might, I don't remember the exact location. Okay. It's northern Utah. It's northern Utah. There's only three places to be. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, if you guys want to have a game run by Haley, show up there. Otherwise, look at your TikToks, DMs, um, longtime players, newbie players, Check it out because it's it's like a cheat code. You can just look and see, oh yeah, that is the rule, or this is the race. I think you just did humans recently, which I've never looked at humans ever. And you said a couple of things, uh, and I was like, oh yeah, I guess they, there is some more to just being a human than just being a human. Um, right. So for all you out there, uh, go to Haley. Haley, I appreciate it. We're going to have to do it again. And if you do do a one-shot with Will Payne Degenerates, I have to be a player. We have to do it. Um, it'll be a great time, I promise. <laughs> yes, yes, and yes to everything. Sounds okay. Great. <laughs> Just yes, yes, yes. Okay, so see you later.